Peace and hope, Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and holding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Luke 2. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those to whom his favor rests. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. Thank you, Blair. Please be seated. Uh, we, um, we follow the church calendar here at Bay Vineyard. If you're visiting with us, we, um, we take the liturgical calendar quite seriously, and there's a bunch of reasons why we do that. Um, but the, the central reason is because we want our church to be totally orientated around the life of Jesus. And the church over history has said that there are certain moments in Jesus' life that are so profound and so deeply significant, we as a church need to look at these year in, year out. We just need to soak our lives in these significant events. And uh, I love, there's a guy called Brian Zahn who I find very interesting, and he said this, uh, to give time meaning, we need a story. Without a story, time is pointless and nihilism beckons. For almost 2,000 years, the church has had the wisdom and the creativity to mark time by the gospel story of Jesus. This is time made, sa- made sacred, thus the church calendar. Because if we don't have a story with our days, weeks, and months, we will capitulate to the secular story that says it's about Valentine's Day and it's about Christmas Day and it's about a long weekend at Easter and it's about Anzac Day and Waitangi Day. These are all great things most of them involving just holidays as far as we're concerned. But as followers of Jesus, we say, no, our lives aren't oriented around our secular priorities and our secular calendar. Our priority and our life is totally centered around the person of Jesus Christ. He has everything to us. And so the church um, uh, works through every year these particular events. Advent, which anticipates the coming of the Messiah. Christmas, which celebrates the birth of Jesus. Epiphany remembers the revelation of Christ to the Gentiles. Lent is a solemn journey to the cross. Easter uh, is the celebration of the resurrection. Pentecost marks the birth of the church or ordinary time or kingdom time leads us through the year and back to Advent. And I love this. I love this. We've done this now for a year and a half or however long our church has been going. We've been just following the church calendar to orientate the priorities about what we talk about as a church. And we will continue to do that. Uh, and so we're going to come out, and I'm going to remind ourselves to you today that Advent is not Christmas. Like This is not like, yay, it's Christmas time, as much as we play all the songs and the kids have a fantastic time. No problem with that, but Advent is the anticipation. Oh, come, come Lord Jesus, we need you. This is a broken world. It's a time of longing. 
in the church calendar. Uh, I, love, I love these events. I really love ord- the fact that ordinary time is in there. Because <laughs> isn't much of life like just ordinary time where we walk with Jesus? So often I think it's like, you know, and certainly in the Christian scene in these days, it's like we just want to go from one high to the next high to the next conference. And you can do that for a number of years before you most likely burn out or get cynical. But I don't want that. I want to orientate my life around Jesus. And with Jesus, there's just a bunch of ordinary time. I like that. All right. So it's a time of longing. It's a time of longing. And... uh, And for 400 years, the prophets waited and spoke and said, there will be a time when God will come in his glory. They didn't expect it to look like Jesus, born in a manger and all the rest of it. We're going to explore that as we go into next week. But it's a time of longing. And interestingly, we're still in a bit of a time of longing for him to return. It's it's like, I hope you're feeling what I'm feeling, which is the world is not the way it should be. It's messed up. It's broken. It's just, it's a hard place. Now, Jesus has come, and he has made it possible for us to draw near to him. Hallelujah. He's defeated the power of sin and death over that cross and rose again victorious. Hallelujah. But then he said, and then I will come again. I will return. And so it's been 2,000 years, and the church has been like, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, return and restore the world. Things in your should have been. We live in a longing. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm tired of this addiction. I'm tired of, of feeling low about myself. I'm tired of battling the calm, Lord Jesus. It, this is the season for that longing to be expressed. Calm, Lord Jesus. In the liturgical churches, uh, every Sunday they will proclaim uh, the mystery. And they'll say this, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Or in the Anglican churches, they say, Glory to you, Lord Christ. Your death we show forth. Your resurrection we proclaim. Your coming we await. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Every Sunday, longing. Oh, Lord, we want you to come back. Now, uh, he has come in Jesus. But we live in the season of in-between. The kingdom has come and is yet to fully come. It has broken in, into our lives and yet is yet to be fully realized. And so the themes of Advent speak to the great fulfillment that Jesus' life brought into the world. He brings hope. He brings peace, which are the themes that we're going to be looking at today. He brings joy. And, uh, and Charlotte shared uh, two weeks ago about how Jesus brings love. But these are the key themes of Advent. These are the key themes we explore in the season because they're central to our faith. And while we long for them to be fully realized in the future, we can live in them now as the body of Christ, as followers of Jesus. We can know hope. We can know his peace. We can know a deep joy that transcends how we're feeling. And above all, supremely, we can know that we are deeply loved. We are deeply loved. I've had a really interesting week, um, a bunch of um, of things I've, I did a while ago, um, mistakes I made, um, came back to really bite me in the bum pretty good. Um, not involved in anyone in the Bay. There's historical friendships. And, um, and you know when you're looking um, at the worst bits of yourself and it can be like, you know, the, you know the self-talk. <laughs> I'm just rubbish, you know. <sighs> you know, and you get all moo-moo-moo about yourself. And... Uh, and I just had to remember, I was driving to uh, hang out with the boys on Thursday morning, and I was just, just going, I had to ask God, like, who am I again? And he was like, you're loved. 
And I was like, oh, that's right. And I just had to speak it over myself because, you know, you don't believe it. I had to just say it over. I'm loved by Jesus. I'm desperately loved by God. I had to speak that over myself. I am not my mistakes. I can bring them to the cross. Hallelujah. And I can give them to Jesus. Nice deal, Jesus. And I can, I can take on his holiness and his righteousness. And I just keep repeating to myself, I'm loved. I'm not my mistakes. I'm loved by God. And I just started to feel better about myself. I was like, yeah. And then if you keep teasing it out, and like, I'm, the, I'm loved not just by anybody, you know. Like, if I was loved by, you know, Jacinda Ardern, that would be cool because she's very powerful. But you know what? I'm loved by someone even more powerful than Jacinda Ardern. I'm loved by the creator of the universe. My best friend's the creator of the universe. I'm loved. I am not those things. I am loved by God. This is Advent. Jesus came that I would know that love. That's what Charlotte was talking about two weeks ago. So let's have a look at uh, a couple uh, themes today. We're having to do two in one Sunday because we had baptisms last week. Congratulations, guys. They got baptized. That was cool. That was so cool. Such a great privilege. And, what a, and thank you, church, for coming out to support them. I was very proud of our church. It's a temptation just to go do your own thing because it's not about you and it's not a normal Sunday. And it's like, well done, church. You turned up and loved them and support them. Very proud of you. So let's have a look at peace. Now, we live in a world filled with conflicts. Um, you know, there's the obvious conflicts between people groups. And we live, actually, interestingly, in the most peaceful time in history. You know, often you, you wouldn't think it with the news you read all the time, right? But remember, like, that's a relatively recent phenomenon that people be bombarded with the worst of what's happening in the world every single day. And that you'd have huge agencies trying to remind you and find out the bad things that are happening so they can put it on your newsfeed every day. Like, you've got to, that affects your worldview. We live in the most peaceful time in history. Hallelujah. That's awesome. So that's cool. But there's still conflict between people groups. I'm not minimizing that. Um, but I think there's a far more significant conflict that's going on in our world today, and that's what's happening in our hearts. Our hearts and minds are filled with anxiety and stress and hurry and shame, and there's so much brokenness in the world today. You know, our suicide stats reflect that, our depression stats reflect that, our anxiety stats, and there's no condemnation in this place if you have, have or are feeling anything like that. It's hard when you're in a sewer to stay clean and to try and keep it above all the filth and all that. It's just, there's so much of that. And everyone struggles with this to varying degrees, carrying things in our heart and mind that rob us of our peace. The angels proclaimed peace on earth when the baby Jesus was born. And Isaiah 9, 5 to 6, he said, He shall be called the Prince of Peace, and there will be no end to his peace. The word peace there is shalom. And uh, the word peace in English, like I've been talking about, is basically this idea of an absence of conflict. That's what we call peace. There's not conflict, we've got peace. Right? If you've had some argument with your boss, or some argument with your neighbor, or some, well, even worse, an argument with your family or someone you love, it's a horrible feeling. And if you get reconciled and sorted out, it's like, ah, oh, there's peace because there's no more conflict. But the word shalom is way more beautiful and far deeper than just an absence of conflict. Uh, the, probably the word that, um, that gets close to this is wholeness, completion. So it's oh, this is actually the way it's meant to be. It's not just an absence of something. There's, there's, the shalom fill is, is something that fills. So, oh, this is, you know those moments where, and you, 
If you have a really good Christmas, you might have this moment. Most of us won't. But uh, if you've got a really good Christmas, you know, once every 15 years, you might have this thing of like, you're sitting there and you've got your family and your friends and your kids and your, your grandkids or whatever, and everyone's in a great space. Everyone's getting on and it's just like, and you've had good food and you've got the present you've been wanting all year and you're just like, the sun's shining, the barbecue's on, the weather's perfect, it's four foot and offshore, all of that. So, and you're just like, oh, this is the way it's meant to be. <sighs> That's shalom. That's shalom. You know, like when you have those moments, it may be very rare for some of you, but you just like yourself and you feel really connected to God and you just feel like you're, you're, you're doing okay. That's shalom. It's not like an absence. It's like, ah, oh, this is how it's meant to be. This is how it's meant to feel. So throughout the Old Testament, God unfolds his plan for reestablishing shalom on earth. Through the line of Abraham, God tells his people that they will bless all of humanity. And he made a covenant of peace with them, Ezekiel 34, 24 and 25, and promised to restore all things by sending a savior. This promised Messiah would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Shalom. And of the greatness of his government and Shalom, there will be no end. Isaiah 9, 6-7, which we read earlier. And in Micah 5, verse 5, he himself will be our peace. In Ephesians 2, 14-15, it says that Jesus himself is our peace. And Romans 5, verse 1, uh, it says, um, we uh, have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What's so beautiful is that Jesus has come so that you could have peace. The reason we take communion every morning, uh, that we, uh, every Sunday morning, is that we come back to the table so that we can have peace with God. And you just have to receive it. I don't care what you've done this week, you can have peace with God. I've said this, if I said this once, I've said it a thousand times. The thing that rips my undies most as a pastor is that most of the people I talk to outside of the church think that they have to be good to come to church. It drives me nuts. The other thing that drives me nuts is not just cell phones, but it's also, uh, it's Christians who act like they've got it all together. I'm tired of that. The Jesus most, like Jesus biggest thing that ripped his undies was the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were people like, oh yeah, we're all sweet. We took all the boxes and we're super Christians and made everyone else feel rats. It's like there's nothing more frustrating. The only way to walk into peace is to acknowledge you need some of it. That you're broken and you've failed and you've, and you've done things that you're embarrassed about and that you wish you hadn't done and, and you keep tripping up but you keep coming back to the cross. You keep boldly approaching the throne of grace. And he just keeps dishing it out. Like, I've been a Christian forever. Like, I was born as a pastor's kid. I got infant baptized. I got adult baptized. I got confirmed. I went to Sunday school. I went to youth group. I went to Bible college. became youth pastor. Did all that. I've done everything all my life. And I keep making mistakes. And I've got to keep coming back to the cross and saying, I'm sorry, Lord. Thank you for your grace. And you know what happens? Peace. Oh. Like, it, it, the, the trickiest thing's believing it. Because it just seems too easy. So we've got to work hard and try and do it. It's like, no, you just come to the cross and say, I'm sorry, Lord. And, he, he, and you're made right with him. Peace. Oh, receive it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Just that peace. Receive it. You, he loves you. Through the cross of Christ, you're made right with him. You can know peace. Jesus has come that you can have peace with God. And then we've just got to learn to walk in it. 
to walk in that peace. The Holy Spirit helps us. This whole process, the old saints used to call sanctification. Sanctification is when we learn to become more like God. Learn to live like Jesus lived. Learn to become more like Him. Learn to live as Jesus lived at His pace. With, to have the mind of Christ. It's to live in this. And so, uh, I don't know what He's doing for you, but for me, the Holy Spirit's trying to get me off my cell phone. Because the cell phone doesn't bring peace. It addicts us to stuff and it just it releases all these neurological things. And so I'm an addict to my phone. There I said it. It felt good. I'm a recovering. No, I'm not. I'm just an addict. I'm not even recovering yet. I'm working on the recovery. And seriously, I'm working hard. You know, I'm deleting apps all the time. I'm putting on apps to stop apps opening. I'm trying to hide my flipping phone in places I can't get it. I'm thinking about buying a dumb phone over Christmas because I'm sick of my smartphone. And then it's like, well, how do I take pictures and listen to music? And then, I, you know, and then I have another hit, and then it's all over again. And it's like, but you know, and I'm, ser- I'm joking. I'm actually deeply serious. I want to live in peace. And this flipping thing doesn't help me live in peace, right? So I'm trying to learn how to live in peace. Mate, I've been reading this book, The Relentless Pursuit of, no, The Relentless, the re- thank you, the, re- the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Book of the year for me, but kicked my butt pretty good in the whole thing. And, and I would love to buy you all a copy, but I can't afford it. But I'd love you to go buy one for Christmas or something. It's just an outstanding book about how to unhurry, how to walk in peace. And this, the last bit of the book is looking at four practices of Jesus that help us slow down. Uh, simplicity, silence and solitude, Sabbath, and generally just slowing down. Picking the longest line in the supermarket on purpose just to see how you physiologically react. Everyone's freaking out, right? Pick To pick to drive just underneath the speed limit. I haven't done any of these things, just so you know. Like, this is what he's suggesting. So I'm, talk, so I'm talking to, my, um, to my family about this when we were in Gisborne a couple of weeks ago to celebrate my parents' 40th wedding anniversary. And I'm telling, passionately telling my family, I'm, I'm literally standing up, they're all sitting down. I'm like, you've got to read this book. It's changing my life. It's incredible. Slow down. It's, it's so helpful. Me and my Ash is like, Dad, Dad, Dad. And I'm like, this book's amazing. Silence, <laughs> solitude, uh, simplicity. So, did, did, did. You know, and it's like, it's really hard for me to slow right down. I'm trying to be really present to the most. Shut up, Asia! I am trying to talk to my children. <laughs> and I completely lost my rag at my ch- And my family lose it, of course. And it's like, and then because it, it's family, like they ignore everything I've ever said and continue just to say, oh, you have, oh look at you, aren't you all chilled and a picture of how to, the unhurried present moment and all of this sort of stuff and took the mick out of me forever. The invitation of Jesus is that we'd walk in peace. So we'd learn to walk in peace. I don't, this is going to be a test for us. It's interesting that the church calendar's like, the ancient church fathers would have cracked up at the way our culture goes and then the fact we have to talk about peace at this time of year. I mean, it is just everything in our culture at this moment is trying to take peace from you because of the crazy to-do list you've got to do and the flipping Christmas boxes you forgot to get till yesterday and all these jobs that are stacking up to where you're like, oh man, and you're just running and running and running and you lose your peace and you get short with the people that are closest to you and all of that. I, don't, I can't tell you how to do it apart from just stay close to Jesus and let the Holy Spirit lead you. And, and honestly, staying close to Jesus, can I just get my pom-poms out this morning as your pastor and say, stay close to Jesus. Work out how you can do it. How are you going to do it 
over these next couple of weeks? How are you going to stay close to him? It doesn't have to be three-hour intercessory prayer sessions. Honestly, withdrawing for 10 minutes once or twice a day to just sit and be with Jesus, you can do that. I can do that. And I'm, I'm committing to do that over these next couple of weeks because I don't want to be horrible. <laughs> and I don't want to be grumpy. It's, it's really easy to be those things when you're a dad of three monsters. But it's like, no, I'm, I want to be close to Jesus and I want to be present. And he's the Prince of Peace and I want him to reign in my life. I want him to reign in my life. I pray that you could choose peace. Let's just take a moment now and receive his peace. Just in Jesus' name, I pray that you'd know the peace of God. Whatever you're going through, whatever you I mean, Jesus stood in front of his disciples. He breathed of them his spirit. And he said, my peace I give you. May you just now know, in the midst of all that's in your mind and all that's on your to-do list, the peace of God. And may it be more than just a lack of conflict. May it be something that fills you, a peace that fills you, a shalom that comes into your life in this moment. And let the God of peace come and fill your heart and fill your mind. And may you be present to him and be able to rest in him over these coming weeks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Secondly, hope. Jesus has come, therefore we can have hope. Like there's all these promises. The Messiah's going to come. Hundreds of prophecies. He's going to come. And he did. And he did. Like honestly, in the Bible, the options are either that they wrote it after his birth and like filled in all the blanks in terms of the prophecies, or he is who he says he is. Or he is who he says he is. It's, there's too much going on there to be just a coincidence. If he's come once, it means that everything he's said is true. If he rose again and defeated death, which is the, what our whole faith rests on, then his promises are true and we can have hope in him. Uh, one of the best definitions I've heard, and I can't find out where, I googled my little heart out, is, of hope is this. Uh, and I don't know who this is, so sorry if you're listening to this and it's you, which is not likely, <laughs> all these scholars listening to me. Um, but uh, <laughs> one can dream. Uh, I love this definition of hope, anticipating a future that is better than the present. That's a really simple definition of hope. It's like, do you have hope right now that your future is better than your present? That's hope. That's the biblical basis of hope. Um, uh, Jürgen Moltmann, a, a German theologian, amazing uh, mind, he says hope is anticipated joy and anxiety is anticipated terror, which I think is a very good way of looking at it as well, right? And we live in very anxious times. We can be freaked out about what's going to happen. And even if, it, even if it's, we know it's not logical, it can feel very real. And it's like, what's going to happen to me? And we can then try and control our lives and all that sort of thing. But hope is anticipated joy, or hope is anticipating a future that is better than the present. And so because of Jesus, I believe it's wise, it's right, it's smart to have enormous hope for your future. <laughs> it's a good idea. Um, and there's lots of ways that it can manifest itself. But one of them is, um, is, this is one of my big hopes. My real big hope is that I turn into be a really nice old man. That's one of my big hopes. I'm like, I've met a few not-so-nice old men before and women, and I'm like, I really don't want to be that. I want to be a really lovely, godly old man. That's, and because of Jesus, that's a good thing to hope for because he does that. Because a really nice old man or woman is just a person who's filled with the fruit of the Spirit. 
that's all a really nice old person is, is a person drenched in the fruit of the Spirit. Like they've become lovely, become so fruity you could like eat them. It's like, and I've got heroes of mine who are like that. But I was so encouraged. Um, there's this couple, I'm not going to name the names, but they're in our vineyard movement internationally. And they are the most godly couple I know. Like I, I saw, like I mean, me and Jen saw them. Even the way they related to each other on stage, off stage, everywhere. Me and Jen were like, "Oh, would love to have a marriage like that one day." It, it was so beautiful the way they loved each other, deferred to one another, the, submitted to one another, would just had love hearts coming out of their eyes at seventy for each other. It was just beautiful, and they're the most godly people I know. I discovered recently they were really nasty back in the day. And that their kids struggled initially for a while there. And I was so encouraged. I was like, yes! Because I looked at them and I thought, oh, I bet you they've just always been saints. You know how these like people that are, they're like, there's probably people in your work that are Christians, they just haven't met Jesus yet. They're so nice, they're so lovely. And you're like, just in their DNA, they're just a lovely person. Have you met people like that? I thought it must have been them. It wasn't. They weren't that nice. I'm like, that's awesome. Because if God can do it to them, he can maybe do it to me. And especially Jen. Maybe he can do. (laughs) She's not in the the room today. (laughs) That's what I've got to work on. That's what I've got to work on. Hope. Hope changes how we feel about our current struggles. Whatever you're battling with, whatever you're wrestling with, God wants to take you into a better future. There's no worse lie of the enemy that says, no, you're stuck where you are. You're always going to be like that. You're always going to struggle with that addiction. You're always, that is a lie. That is not true. That is not what Jesus does. Jesus comes and leads us. It takes a while, but he leads us from glory to glory to become more like Him. We can have hope for our future. And when you have hope, it changes the way that you feel right now. Let me illustrate this. Tim Keller had this amazing illustration that I thought was absolutely fantastic. He said, imagine you get two men, men of the same age, socioeconomic background, education, temperament, all the rest of it. And you hire these two men. And every day, all day, their job is to put a widget on a wadget. Okay, it's all they do, put a widget on a widget, widget on a widget, and they do that all day long. They have identical rooms, the temperature's the same, the lighting's that their whole environment's the same. And for 10 hours a day, they have to put a widget on a widget, all day, and they get 30 minutes for lunch, that's it, all day, widget on a widget. The only difference is that to the first man, you say, you have to do this for a year, and at the end of the year, we're going to give you $10,000. To the second man, you say, you have to do this for a year, and at the end of the year, we're going to give you $10 million. (laughs) And so these two guys get together at lunchtime for their 30 minutes at lunch, and uh, the the first man is just like, this is hell. This is awful. This is tedious. I'm going insane. I hate every minute. This is destroying my soul. And the second man's like, I kind of enjoy it. I whistle while I work. I'm just like, no, I'm having a good time. And he says this, two men are experiencing the same circumstances in a radically different way because their current experience is determined by their expected future. How powerful is that? Their current experience is determined by their expected future. And so this is how powerful hope is. 
Hope is powerful because if you have imagined through Jesus and by the power of the Spirit what your life is going to be like in Him, then you will whistle even as you put the widget on the wadget every day. You'll be like, yeah, I know where I'm heading and it's good. It's real good. Like we've just spent the whole of like whatever it was, term four, looking at the book of Ephesians, which just bangs on about the inheritance we have in Jesus. If we start believing in it, it's like you, literally you've won lotto. You've won life lotto because Jesus has reached down, revealed himself to you and says you can know hope and you can know peace and you can know joy and supremely you can know that you're desperately loved to the point I would die for you. That's how loved you are. Like, you've won the life lotto. Like, just think about that for a second. It's insane. It's so cool. And so I'm gonna, I want to just, again, speak hope over you. I don't know what you're battling with. I don't know what you're wrestling with. But I want to speak hope. Because even if the worst happens, you get to be with Jesus. Yeah. You can't lose. Paul got this. Paul, who's like a pastor all the rest of it, he's like, Oh man, I'd love to be with you. Like I love what I do. I love serving the church. I love writing the letters and encouraging and seeing the kingdom of God break in. This is super exciting. I'm planting churches. You know, I love all this. But then, like, I'd love to be with Jesus as well. So it's like, yeah. yeah. So it's like, oh, I could. And he get martyred any day, so he could get killed at any moment. It's like, yeah, yeah. are you like that? It's like most of us are like, no, I don't want to. It's like the Christian hope is death being defeated. Like we still have to pass through the valley of the shadow of death, but it's lost its power, it's lost its sting. We have hope in Jesus. Like you just can't lose now. That doesn't, I'm not trying to like minimize your struggle right now. No way. You've got to express it and get your psalm and lament on and get it out if it's hard. And it's, God just loves that. He doesn't want you to be like, I'm happy and you know it. And like, you know, if you're struggling, no, of course not. But you have hope. You have hope because Jesus has come. Let me illustrate this another way. I love this passage. Um, this was on one of the devotionals I listened to two weeks ago on the Pray As You Go app. And I just was so struck by this. There's a prophecy of Jesus, a prophetic passage of Jesus coming. It says, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest of wines. So like Isaiah's like, when Jesus comes, it's going to be like a wedding banquet. And it was. Like Jesus' first miracle, wedding banquet. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a wedding banquet. How I love this. I mean, who doesn't love a good buffet? I mean, a wedding, ba- wedding banquets are one of my favorite things. I'm looking forward to, you know. And so we go, <laughs> order a bit more, I'm telling you now, because it's like, you know, Steve and June just went on a cruise for 10 days. I said, June, the only thing I want you to send me pictures of, and she did, is your bed, because I'm feeling a bit tired of love a nap, and the buffet. So she sent me a photo of the bed and the buffet. And I was like, I just, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> buffet looks awesome on the cruise. It's all you can eat. Get you, and that's, that's the thing with the wedding banquet. All you can eat, right? I struggle with that, because I like eating. And I'm on a plant-based diet right now, because I love eating so much. I'm trying to like, dial it back and all that. But it's like, this is what it's meant to be like when Jesus comes. This is what the church is meant to be, a wedding banquet filled with joy. All right, On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. So like, that's, we live in a good time, friends. Before Jesus came, it was hard to feel the presence of God unless you did a whole lot of rituals and a whole lot of sacrifice and went to the right spot. Jesus came, tore down that shroud so that this morning we can feel the presence of God. We could be near him. 
and he will swallow up death forever. Hallelujah. This is the bit that really messed me up when I was listening to it. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all the faces. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will come and he'll bring comfort. He will come and he'll bring uh, mercy. Many of you are grieving, I know, this morning. So he wants to come and just minister his love. And he will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. Another passage says, uh, he will remove the people's shame. Stop for a second and imagine that's true. Some of you struggle with shame big time. It's like, just a, it's like cancer in your soul. You struggle with shame because of things that you've done in your past. What if it's true? What if he just comes? Shame's gone. Just for, it's, he has. In Jesus, he came on that cross and bore our shame. You do not need, and I speak this with every bit of authority the Lord will give me, you do not have to feel that shame anymore. Because Jesus has come, you can be freed from the power of that shame. I just break its power over you in Jesus' name. You do not have to feel that shame. You do not have to feel it. It's gone. This is powerful. This is why we have hope in Jesus. Now let's believe it's true and walk in it. I've battled with this myself, as you can tell probably with the authority and passion that I've got for this whole thing. You've got to start exercising the faith and the authority he's given you and start rebuking that feeling every time it rears its ugly head. You've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to say to your, you see, change the way your brain thinks when that shame comes up, say, no, that's been removed in Jesus' name. I'm not feeling that anymore. I'm instead going to feel the peace of God. Come, shalom. And just allow the, the, the peace of God to, to fill you. And on this day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. I just love this. This is the hope that we have in Jesus. Our future is better than our present reality. Whoa. Yes. I love that. You're going to turn into a lovely old man or a lovely old woman if you allow the Holy Spirit into every area of your life. If you, you know, the word they use there is trust. Trust and believe are exactly the same thing. Do you really trust in Jesus? That he is going to just lead you to a good place? That he's going to bring your soul into pastures like green pastures where you're like, oh, this is... Some of you can't even believe it's true. So put your trust in him, put your hope in him. This is why in Ephesians it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. He's praying that you'd have a revelation. This is the hope that we have in Jesus. In Romans 15 verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to pray that over you this morning as we come into land, that you would know joy, that you would know peace as you trust in him, and that you would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.